0: Hey there, if you like this podcast or any of the work that I do, please consider following me on Instagram. I'm trying to grow that account, and you can see a lot of the content that I don't post on Spotify or on YouTube up on there. This includes my TikTok videos and other antics that I get up to during the week. Plus, I'm going to start to grow all of my social channels, so I'd love it if you followed me there, and stay tuned for updates on YouTube. Thank you, and enjoy my show. Again, on the train. Hi, my name's Alex Joseph, your friendly neighborhood, sleep deprived pre med, here to make science a little more user friendly and the world a little less full of lies. This is the Aletheia Podcast. What is going on, guys? That's right, I'm back. I know it's been a while between classes and moving into my new apartment. I've been super duper busy, but I'm back. I know y'all missed me. All of those of you who listen to this or follow it regularly, thank you. Thank you very much. I've been looking at your streams on Spotify. You've been doing amazing. Let's get it even bigger. Uh, For those of you who might know this from TikTok, I know I have a couple of you on there. That's amazing. Thank you for all those conservative Christians who love to flame me in my comments. Welcome as well if you're here to listen to me talk for whatever reason. For some reason, I live rent-free in a lot of your heads. But with that being said, this time we have something really special for you guys. We're going to be talking about a lot of different policies today. Among them are climate change, the Green New Deal, and all that shit that went down during the debate. But to do this, I have a very special guest with me today. He's a longtime friend. I went to high school with this man. He's my brother in science and in many other things. None other than the great Abiram Kuluri, let's say hi to him right now. Abiram, how's it going, man?
1: How's it going, my friend?
0: All right, so real quick, do you want to introduce yourself for our viewers at home?
1: Okay. So, well, how are we doing this? Two truths and a lie? Um, uh, let's do the <laughs> no. normal So, my name is Abiram Kuluri. I'm a junior and I'm a math major
0: but uh where do you where do you go to college
1: i go to college at clark university Worcester, Massachusetts.
0: all right word word so I, I was just telling them that uh we went to high school together what do you think has how many things do you think have gone wrong between the space of now and high school just like in the world
1: let's see you know it's kind of funny because when i graduated i thought that was the worst it could get <laughs> And since then, it's just been going downhill.
0: It's just like every time you think it could get, it, it could it couldn't get worse. Like just something else happened suddenly. Like like a few months ago, this year we thought, okay, we're, we're gonna start over a new decade, and suddenly, like all of Australia's on fire. Like there's everyone's getting sick. It's it's insane. I feel like there's no shortage of things that can go wrong. It's literally this whole year has been an experiment of Murphy's law.
1: We are living in the worst possible timeline.
0: Yeah. Like this is one of the, this was one of the timelines where Thanos wins. Like this is literally like one of the, <laughs> this is one of the bad outcomes from, from, from Avengers. Um, but that being said, Amir and I have talked a lot about policy and stuff before. We're both Model UN kids. We we both know a thing or two about national and foreign policy and, you know, myself, I'm a pre-med, big pre-med guy, but I also love science, right? And I think we both share that in common. What, what, where have you dabbled in the scientific field, Zabira? Why don't you tell them a bit about that?
1: Let's see. So I've always been interested in science. Me and Alex went to a similar school where there was a big culture around being scientifically literate and just mm-hmm. being good at science was something to take pride in. Yeah. So growing up, I was always surrounded by it. And the scientific mindset was always a big part of my life um my personal relationship with science um that's hard to explain i think that science is a mindset that you can do the world in right Mm -hmm. i think that a lot of people within the scientific orbit find it much harder than the average person to fall for conspiracy theories fall for any sort of like you know like like any sort of fake news quote unquote yeah. Because of the fact that we have a mindset that's based on evidence and based on facts. Mm-hmm. So I would say that my experience with science, well, to not just list my resume, is about gaining and understanding perspectives through a scientific mindset.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. And honestly, that's all it's about, right? Like, that's why we preach scientific literacy. It's to sort of get that idea that it's a process everyone should be engaging in. It's not just for, like, MDs and PhDs who, like, who spend their lives studying it, you know? Uh, that's actually sort of what we wanted to talk about today because man, let me just start off by asking this. What the hell was that debate? What I'm going to let you take this one. What, what are your thoughts on whatever that was?
1: So I'd like to quote Dana Bash when she said that, quote, it was a shit show, um, which is not something you hear on CNN. Yeah. yeah. I think that no matter how crazy you think it is, it's worse. Yeah. Um, the sitting president of the United States didn't dog whistle. He wolf yelled to a bunch of neo-Nazis to stand by for the election results, refused to condemn white supremacy, and did not promise a peaceful transfer of power. So, yeah, no, it's it's bad. If if future political yeah. scientists are, you know, like studying through the ashes of the United States to find out where it went wrong, yeah, they're going to play the video of that debate.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Like, how did we get two angry old men just yelling at each other for like three hours straight on the debate stage? Is, is, it's beyond us. Um, but let's talk about some of the scientific things that I talked about. Specifically, a lot of people have been talking about, you know, COVID's one thing. I'll get to that like in a different episode, but like what was happening in terms of that environmental policy? Cuz I've never been more confused as to what Trump's stance on the environment is than I was coming out of that debate. You no,
1: know, Trump has this sort of mentality that he can treat science like he's treat his real estate empire and just kind of pretend he's an expert until he gets regarded as one Mm -hmm. so you saw this um in australia where he said we could rake the forest fires away yeah (laughs) um and also when he said that we could inject bleach into our bodies to get rid of
0: the right which he later clarified as sarcasm by the way (laughs)
1: Uh, oh, yes, of course. Um, there was actually a Cornell study that came out the other day that shows that he is the leading cause of misinformation in coronavirus. They analyzed a bunch of like almost 30,000 different news sources, and they concluded that basically every single quote he had was a source of misinformation for coronavirus. So, yeah, I think that Trump,
0: Trump,
1: Trump's perspective on science is kind of like Trump's perspective on facts in general. You know, yeah. they're always yeah. it's always a little bit skewed.
0: Right. Uh, let's talk about the his response to the whole California wildfires thing. What what was that? He's tried to talk about forest fires. Like Chris Wallace kept trying to get him to say anything about his relationship to anthropomorphic cli- climate change. And he just wouldn't bite. W- why? What do you think about that?
1: Say what you want about Trump. But Trump understands the base. Trump understands that his base doesn't believe in climate change, so he's not going to go up there and say he believes in climate change either. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the reason why he doesn't disavow the proud ways. The reason why he doesn't condemn white supremacy is because that if you were on Trump's side, he is with you, right? That sort of very, very transactional mindset is how he thinks about the world. And so when you think about like climate change, right, you're, t- you're t- thinking about a demographic of people that, are totally not in Trump's camp. The camp of people that believe in climate change are antithetical to everything that he is, right? And so, to accept the scientific fact of climate change would actually just not fit with everything that's going on with his personality. I, st- I still think it's absolutely stupid, right? Like he right. doesn't have yeah. the cognitive ability to really grasp <laughs> these large scale situations. But yeah. it is there is a there is a kind of. Like, there, there's a psychological underpinning to it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, it's funny you bring up his base, right? Because a lot of these people are people who are, like, scared of being impacted by what they see are, like, socialist policies that would be put in place to combat climate change, right? So that's, like, deinvesting in coal, natural gas, which, you know, ran industries in a lot of these Midwestern states for years. Uh, And so they're worried about losing even more jobs than they already have. So to sort of buy into the climate change thing in his mind is to play into his basis fears, which, because in this one sense, not that he doesn't play into his basis fears, like obviously he does that. Right. But in this one specific case, it's not advantageous for him to do so. So I feel like that's part of why we're not going to see him sort of he sort of like danced around the question it's like oh we want to have we want to have extremely good air pristine incredible air and water like you know like the whole he, he was talking about clean air clean water without much substance on actual climate change
1: yeah i mean to assume that trump has any substance on science is to kind of ask to get some the face so yeah. i think the default assumption is that he doesn't know what he's talking about although If you look at the provisions of the Green New Deal, which he definitely has not, Mm -hmm. the way the Green New Deal is structured is that those who have jobs that are closest to fossil fuels will be the ones to receive the benefits of it the most. Mm -hmm. So that's what I think we're going to get to later about how we can actually tackle this problem in a way that gets people who are right now Trump supporters, anti-vaxxer, anti-science, anti-climate change onto the table. Right.
0: I think it's great you mentioned the Green New Deal, because we're actually going to start to sort of segue into that. So Trump attacked Biden at some point during the debate, I forget one, for like being a supporter of it. Thing is, Biden's not, right? Like AOC and like Markey had to sort of like negotiate with him when they realized he was getting the nomination. Um, So what do you think, what do you think Biden's doing in all this? Like, what's his stance? What do you think we're going to get under him? Like if he should win?
1: I I don't think Biden's doing enough when it comes to climate change. Mm -hmm. Um, Biden's always a very, like, I would say cautious, middle-of-the-road type of guy. Biden wants to win, but he wants to win as a Democrat from the 1990s. He wants Mm -hmm. to win as a centrist. He wants to win as a coalition builder, as a unifier, and taking the most divisive issue in the entire world and taking a strong, affirmative stance on it. Is not something that kind of jives with his personality, right. but 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 that will severely impede us on making any progress whatsoever on the on climate change or even as a, on the Green New Deal as a whole because the American people tend to punish pe- uh, presidents who run on rhetoric that's different from what they try to accomplish. Right. Um, Obama didn't mention healthcare at all compared to getting us out of Iraq and a foreign policy when he won. But taking that win, he decided to accomplish a good goal. He decided to try to expand healthcare coverage. Mm-hmm. But the American people tend to see that if you're not running on a certain message, you're, you're not your agenda isn't ratified by you. So mm-hmm. trying to say that we, we will try to do positive measures on climate change while not making it a big aspect of your campaign, can run you into the trouble of not having enough support to get you to where you need to be.
0: Because it's like the people are saying, okay, we didn't elect you for this, and yet you're doing it anyway.
1: And that's a big reason why Bernie Sanders was so strong during the primaries, because Mm -hmm. the Sunrise Movement was through all of their political backing behind Bernie. It's the same reason why uh, Ed Markey won his campaign against Joe Kennedy when Joe Kennedy was in the double dentists above him when that campaign started. Mm-hmm. It's because the politics of climate change isolates you from a lot of older voters, but it gives you a lot of younger voters.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, because a lot of kids in our generation see this as the issue. It's the issue of our times, right? Um, I think AOC described it as the civil rights movement of our times, which you know, given the current political climate around that thing, I'm not sure it was the most appropriate metaphor um, but I, I can certainly see why it is one of those issues of our times, right, uh, and like yeah, you said, it, that is,
1: it is kind of the cultural, the cultural touchstone of where you stand, you could, you could say pretty much everything about a person, where they went to school, you know, what they studied, what their level of literacy is, by asking them the simple question, do you accept the scientific fact of climate change, that has been a litmus test for so much of how this country works, because right. the fact that the, like I don't know if it's the majority anymore, but strong pluralities of this country don't believe that climate change is real despite 30 years of dedicated lobbying by the best scientific ambassadors, by some of the greatest minds in science, right? To try to push this is one of the greatest failures that the Democratic Party or U.S. politics as a whole has.
0: Right. And we'll talk about like climate change as a whole and how people sort of react to it in just a moment. But let's sort of segue into talking about the Green New Deal. Abiram, do you want to sort of explain for our viewers at home, what is the Green New Deal? Like, how? what is it? Why is there so much contention about it? Why do some people love it? Why do some people hate it? Like, can you give us the rundown?
1: So the Green New Deal is a plan set forward by Senator Ed Markey and Representative Ocasio-Cortez that seeks to make the entire country carbon-free by 2050. Mm -hmm. And the way it seeks to do that is through massive investments in renewable energy and in dramatic reductions in the amount of fossil fuel emissions in this country and throughout the world. Mm -hmm. Additionally, the Green New Deal seeks to perform what's called uh, climate justice, where people who are most affected by climate change are going to be the ones that receive the benefits of the green new deal like if you are a coal worker in uh west virginia you are going to be the one who gets the jobs that are created in the renewable energy sectors theoretically you know there's a lot of the devils in the details but the green new deal is a proposal not a law if congress passed the green new deal right now nothing would happen it's the equivalent of saying we want to do this. Nothing is binding it, which is so, right. which is so surprising because the amount of vitriol, and hatred that's been directed towards <laughs> it would make you think that they want to abolish cows or something. I think that was right. a line that came right. up at some.
0: Th- point. That's what Trump said. He said that during the debate. He was like, he Joe, like Joe would have you get rid of cows and and cars, right? But it doesn't say that anywhere in the language, right? Because the Green New Deal, at its core, is a resolution. It's the stuff rewrite in Model UN, bro. That's all it is. We all know this. Our MUN kids listening to this. No, a resolution doesn't do anything. It's a recommendation. <laughs> so, like, that's it's true. It's a it. of
1: paper that says that it's the equivalent of thoughts and prayers for climate change.
0: <laughs> exactly. It's like, hey it'd be really nice if we did this right (laughs) and i i think that's one thing people don't understand it's like okay say we pass this resolution right this resolution this joint resolution from the house and senate literally all it would do is say hey we agree like all it would say is yes the united states agrees that points have been made that's it
1: (laughs) We affirm the previous speaker
0: that's that's it it's like (laughs)
1: um yeah um it's it's shocking that we haven't reached the point that we can't pass nothing. Yeah, nothing cannot pass as a bill in the U.S. House of Congress.
0: We, we can't pass wish wishful thinking in Congress. We can't agree on whether or not to send thoughts and prayers for the for the North Pole. That's how bad it's gotten.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I, I it's kind of shocking, right? To like one of the things that I think gets underrepresented when people talk about climate change is people think, oh, yeah, what we need to do to solve climate change is to get more people to ride their bikes to work. No, it does not work that way. You can live climate, like carbon-free for the rest of your life. You can go out into the forest and build a cabin and live there and hunt and fish for your food, and the net global emissions will still keep rising yeah. because individuals, by and large, are not responsible for climate change. This is driven by capitalism. This is driven by the mechanics of capitalism. Mm -hmm. And so if we want to deal with climate change, it's not enough for a plurality, even a majority of people to believe in it. What needs to happen is there needs to be a a fundamental shift in how corporations work in this country. That's extremely scary. I think that it drops so far down Maslow's hierarchy of needs politically, where like, right now we're just fighting for the survival of our country in a lot of ways and we're fighting for the continuation of government that right. we like we're at the basic level of maslow's hierarchy we I mean, you're like food water and shelter the equivalent of that politically is like the ability to live in a democracy right, right? whereas like solving climate change would be at the highest level of, mm-hmm. it would be self-actualization it would be taking all of the gifts that we have and spreading that with the world and creating a global system it's, it's important that we to, re- to recognize that in order to solve climate change, we need to fix our politics. We yeah. need to do certain things that will let something like a climate resolution pass through the House and pass through the Senate. So I know we can't, uh, solving American democracy doesn't sound like an easier problem in any way right. than solving climate change, but it kind of is. Climate change is the international issue. We need to lead a coalition of countries and we cannot lead a coalition of countries if we are divided ourselves as to what to do we just saw examples of that when trump literally took us out of the paris accords after we were the people that got it on the team right. if american if america continue, continues to remain as divided as it is we have absolutely no hope of solving climate change
0: yeah and that's what you brought up is a really good point right like a lot of people And to that point, a lot of people are saying, like, the way to do that right now is just to vote out Republicans. It's just to say, like, you know, make, like, let's get another blue wave, this time run it through the Senate, right? Do you agree with that? Or what do you think is the better idea to do?
1: I think that we have tried to convince Republicans about climate change for the last 30 to 40 years to Oscar Wilde once said that you can't get someone to believe a story that directly contradicts the story they have have with their own life, right? The story of a Republican life is, I am supporting capitalism, supporting small government, and every single ounce of that is against what the Green New Deal is, or against any sort of climate solution. You cannot have a climate solution that is not big government. You cannot have a climate solution that is free market. All of those are impossibilities. So as much as I am a reach across the aisle guy, build consensus guy, you know, both parties have things that are bad about them, you know, I'm a (laughs) moderate shill like that. I think that it's important to recognize that there is one party in this country that believes in climate change and there's another party that doesn't. So you being the effective voter should take that into account when you make your vote. So if that means taking out Republican incumbents in Democratic states, like Susan Collins, like Cory Gardner, like Martha McSally, then yes, there is some merit to the idea that getting rid of Republicans will push us further towards climate change.
0: And I really wish it didn't have to be like that. Um, you know, George, George Washington's rolling over in his grave at the thought of a ball a two-party system in the Senate, you know, but I feel like it's, it's going to be one of those tricky things. It's like, okay, what do we value more? the traditional aspects of our democracy or do we value the survival of our species you know like which of those and like you said you know in the immediate sense it might seem like preserving our democracy is the most important thing but then when you consider that human beings could be gone in a hundred years in a few hundred years that's you you start to wonder it, it, it's
1: also important to note right now that like it's not like the system is working right now either, right? It's not like, we are, we are trying to build a consensus on climate change right now, but it won't work. You cannot get somebody to vote against their self-interest. It is impossible. You cannot get people who live in coal country, who, people who have fossil fuel-based jobs to ever, ever support anything related to transitioning away from those jobs. Those are their entire livelihood. So right. the only way to kind of do this, right, is going forward with a recognition that we can't get a consensus on this we can't it is too vital of an issue to wait around to hope and pray that we can get another 10 15 points on the barometer of people that believe in climate change this is something that needs to be done and whether it's done by a small majority ramming through legislation or through broad consensus it needs to happen
0: Mm -hmm. so I think that's a very good point that we need to sort of play with what we've got. We need to sort of play play work with the world as it is rather than we would necessarily like to be. Obviously, it'd be awesome if we could get everyone on board with climate change. And I think a study came out through uh, Politico had done like a, a piece on this. And they mentioned a Yale study that said increasingly more and more Americans are believing in climate science right which is awesome but we need to start to reflect that and who represents us right the same proportion of senators right now who believe in climate change is is not reflected by the proportion of americans who do right so i think that that's that's a very important discussion but let's move on to sort of talking about some of the specific proposals in the green new deal right so what are we thinking about net zero carbon emissions is that something that's possible right because it's not saying like zero period like like zero gross carbon emissions it's talking about zero net do you want to sort of explain the difference for people who don't know
1: so there's a lot of aspects to solving climate change right so net zero net carbon emissions Is saying that we're still going to have some consumption of fossil fuels, but we're going to offset that, Mm -hmm. right? So like, Trump, Trump saying let's get rid of cars, or saying that Biden is talking about getting rid of cars is good because example, it's it's an example of what Republicans and what a lot of conservative-minded people believe that what climate change, solving climate change entails. They think of it as a binary choice of like, you either get your cars or you get your icebergs. Like they really believe that. There's no other way to do this. Mm-hmm. And in reality, no one's saying, let's abolish capitalism. Well, I mean, people are saying that, but no one's saying let's <laughs> abolish. <laughs> no no reasonable policy mind is saying let's abolish capitalism for right. the sake of climate change.
0: That's not going to um, work in the United but... States.
1: <laughs>
0: That's <laughs> not people happening. Are
1: saying, unfortunately, yes, it is not. Yeah. What people are saying is that, okay, we're going to have a certain amount of fossil fuel consumption in the foreseeable future. How do we offset that? And there's a lot of issues with this because you get into something that's called the efficiency gap, right? Where um, you actually create problems the more you implement green energy because that energy is usually more efficient and so it gets used more. Um, a classic example of that is that the amount of pollution that's caused by solar panels is going up because of the fact that more people are using solar panels mm-hmm. and because they're starting to become more and more efficient, right? So it's almost like, yes, you're getting more green energy, but you're almost making the environment worse in an equal and opposite way, because Mm. as soon as the technology becomes more efficient, people are going to use more. So people are going to use more energy if there's more energy around. So there's this really, really difficult trap. Economic economists call this the tragedy of the commons, where if you get into a situation where you try to... like where you try to make things more efficient and where you try to reduce net carbon, where you try to offset it in one area, you're gonna gain carbon in another area. Right. But yeah, as to the specifics of the Green New Deal, what, so the Green New Deal has a few parts. Number mm-hmm. one, they wanna invest in fossil fuels or <laughs> they wanna invest in renewable energy. Right. They invest in all of the things that we are currently working on, right? Solar, wind, um, nuclear, as well as some things that we, ha- we are just starting to take a look at, right? Biofuels right. in an area that's so limitless in potential that we've only just began to scratch the surface. Yeah. There are so many aspects of solving climate change that we haven't even put in the research or time into. We haven't even put in the chance to see whether or not this could work.
0: I Those will. I'm gonna... oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. All right. All
1: right. So... So,
0: yeah. <laughs> my bad, my bad. Uh, I was just gonna say, like, it's funny you brought up all these energy sources, because one thing that was kind of controversial that they specifically left out and that AOC's office sort of came out with a statement about was that they were not going to look into nuclear. What what, what were your thoughts about that? Because I thought that was a little I have mixed feelings about nuclear energy. I wanna see what you think.
1: Okay, so let's start off. What are your what are your feelings on it? I wanna get a sense of where we have that.
0: All right, look as a as a scientist right uh you know i start i've studied the chemistry of how reactors work you know like we learned it in amsa that was part of that was part of chems we had to learn how reactors work um because we went to a nerd school uh for those of you at home just just so you're aware they made us do weird things like that and they can tell Alex. yeah i don't know they can, yeah. oh, no, no, they can. <laughs> but um i know that implicitly they are much safer than the public thinks right that being said, I watched one episode of Chernobyl and suddenly I don't want it. I don't want it. Oh, yeah, I'm the, scared. It
1: the starts off with the guy hanging himself. Yeah, that yeah. was a real I, banner ad for nuclear energy.
0: I just like, and I feel like that's what people are afraid of. That's literally what people are afraid of is Chernobyl in America. Like, like suddenly like Kansas is going to be like a nuclear wasteland. I feel like it's what people are scared of, but I know, like, scientifically, the likelihood of that, especially now that we know what we know, is so small. And we have nuclear power in places in the U.S. It's not a thing that doesn't exist. Um,
1: have you ever heard of thorium
0: reactors? I, I believe I have, but can you elaborate more?
1: So, I, I have a friend who's actually very into them and really kind of advocates for them. Mm-hmm. But from what I know, they cannot meltdown. They they literally cannot melt down. Um, nuclear gets this weird gets this weird hit job almost because of the fact that every single time nuclear doesn't work, it's on the headlines. Right. Like nuclear do- has a zero tolerance for error, and it's like gets constant bad publicity. But you gotta admit, it's it's the quickest, cheapest, most efficient way to take us to zero percent net carbon right. so there is we do need to take
0: another look at it
1: and there mm-hmm. are ways to make it safer
0: right yeah i mean i think like I, one thing i disagreed with aoc's office about was that they were just like nah they're just like nah like we're not thinking about it i was like okay you, you gotta think about it well, like you.
1: I, okay i mean people are people are saying the aoc and the green new deal want to get rid of our cows i don't know what they would say if we said we would invest billions of dollars into nuclear and again I that's, that's why the fair, green yeah. new deal is just a pr stunt it's right. just a glorified pr stunt. it is about building consensus over solutions without implementing
0: the solution right because any it's of these solutions but, right because any of these solutions would require their own piece of legislation like say we pass a green new deal we have to then you know say okay here's what we're going to do to implement it we're going to pass this bill that says okay we're going to invest x amount of dollars into into the green sector in the green energy yeah. sector um
1: it's it's kind of sad though the fact that in order we in order to solve anything related to climate change we do need to get rid of a lot of these partisan guardrails like if we want any climate change legislation to pass we need to pack the supreme court we need yeah. to end the filibuster we need to pass these things with very very narrow almost completely democratic yeah. authority and it's very sad. It's very unfortunate. It speaks to like, the failures of scientists over the last 20, 30 years to spread that message in a way that was acceptable to a large part of the American population. But we're at the point where we're reaching levels of, quote-unquote, no return. The UN just published a study that said we were basically fucked, to uh, yeah. party <laughs> French. But there's, <laughs> there's basically no tolerance or room for error on this. We need to yeah. pass this
0: now. Right. Like before they were saying like, okay, if we can achieve net zero by 2050, we'll be good. Now everyone's like, nah, dude, we have like zero time. It's fourth and goal on this issue. Like we've got, it's fourth and goal with 30 seconds left on the clock. Like we've got to fix this now. Like we're losing. So it's, it's, it's really tough. It's really tough. And like, at this point we're going to have to do, we're going to have to pull like a Patriots Falcons on this. You know, like I think that's what it was. we came back like, like fourteen points. Like <laughs> I we don't need back-
1: to catch the ball like this.
0: Yeah, like we're gonna have to. So we can either Wes Welker this, like twenty twelve, like <laughs> like like Patriots and Giants. We can either we can either like we can either get butterfingers at the last minute, or we can clutch this. Like I don't know. It's a question of whether we're gonna Wes Welker this or Malcolm Butler this. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, we we do need the Tom to Tom to and across cross. Yeah.
0: Okay, enough with the football references. I'm gonna start getting into territory I don't know enough about. Um, but
1: this is where we lose our science audience.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like I there are people there are kids who used to bully me in fifth grade for knowing nothing about any of this, this watching this podcast, like that I guarantee none of them are watching this, but you you know you know what the you know what the hell I'm saying. But let's let's now sort of transition into investing in clean energy because I think you've talked about this before, but What's the practicality of this man? Like I, this stuff confuses me every single time. Where's, how's the money going to work out on this? Because people are concerned. They're concerned that we're either going to run the deficit on this, right? Put more on the nation's credit card, which we've already maxed out, like plus a trillion dollars. So that's out the question. And then, or they're going to be like, okay, where do we divest? Do we reduce spending or how are we going to get the money for this? Because AOC is talking about tax, taxing the one percent, a lot of people are talking about talking about that, and people are concerned. So where do we get the money?
1: It'd be good for you know you and I because those NSF grant monies, right? Yeah. Those, those, those would be stacking up.
0: <laughs> I'm but... not saying I'm applying for co-op at like at like publicly funded like institutions. I'm just saying it wouldn't hurt <laughs> to be transparent.
1: The the buzzword invest in clean energy is kind of misleading because it's not like the U.S. government is just going to pour money into Pfizer's rear end. <laughs> and, see yeah. it comes out.
0: <laughs> and that's when the Republicans just accuse you of like pork barrel spending. That's like their favorite word. It's like they learned one concept It's like, ooh, pork barrel. And they just applied it to everything the Democrats do. But yeah, go on. Yeah.
1: Um, what... What investing in clean energy is essentially saying is that we need to make clean energy more economically feasible than fossil fuels. Right now, the amount of energy that you can get out of one unit of fossil fuels is cheaper than the amount of energy that you can get out of one unit of renewable energy. That's the simple, cold, hard fact is that the energy density of petroleum is very, very hard to beat. those I'm sure you could talk about those long chain hydrocarbons and, uh, you know the the immense like energy contained with them it's very very hard to match up with things like solar and wind and there's that's part of the reason why it's been so hard for them to kind of compete in the sector so right what the government is trying to say is that maybe there's a way to make these more efficient so that once we can get these once we can get these like these these sources fully developed they can go out there and compete and we don't have to promote them that much. We don't have to offer as many tax tax breaks as we potentially might need to, because they're going to go there and compete on the free market. It's a very US centric approach of like, let's see what the free market decides.
0: Right. But
1: I, there's a lot to be said about just using the solutions we have right now. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, no, I was going to say like, there is some research being done as to, you know, sort of increasing the efficiency here because the numbers have gotten better. Like, we got to be a little honest about that, right? The numbers on solar, for instance, have gotten better. I'm looking at a study right now, right? Uh, you know, when those calculations that were done, I don't know if you heard about that study that said if we covered the Mojave Desert in solar panels, we could run the entirety of the U.S.'s energy needs, um, for at least in terms of electricity, right? So that calculation-
1: heard be here in California. But, what's up? You know- we also fry every single bird between here and California. Yeah. You definitely know when you're a kid and there's like a hot, there's a hot piece of asphalt in front of you. Yeah. Like radiating
0: heat. Imagine yeah. all of Deval. That's right. <laughs> I mean, like, that's true. But like, you know there's this there there's studies that came out like based on calculations from like the epa and the nrel right like so what they were saying is that when that study that that number came out like the efficiency on solar modules was between like 13 and 14 percent now in 2019 it's on average you're talking efficiency of like 15 to 18 percent some of the more like highly efficient ones are capable up to 20 right so it's getting better, but it's going to be hard to, because you mentioned like sort of these long chain hydrocarbons, right? Because the chemistry of what we're talking about and putting on my biochemist hat for a second, right? is we're talking about combustion reactions when it comes to fossil fuels. And it's hard to beat the energy output you're going to get from that, right? Because these, this is the definition of an exothermic reaction, right? Is what you're dealing with. Few things burn and produce energy Right, because we're talking about energy, we're talking about heat that is built by these. Right, we convert that heat into electrical energy, right? And it's hard to get that kind of direct output from any complicated process because the thing is, right, this goes into things like Carnot engines, right, and Carnot processes, right? Where it's like if you're trying to build a cyclical process in order to continuously output energy, right, because you need to do the idea is you're generating work, which then creates energy, right? but if you're going to do that in a cyclical manner to continue to do that, you're, you're going to, unless you're continuously putting things into the fire, you're not going to be completely efficient. Because at each step in the solar process of converting that energy, you're going to lose a little bit of efficiency, which is why it's so much less output compared to the fossil fuels like you mentioned.
1: I think so, that's a big argument for nuclear, though, because nuclear is the only thing that can really per unit compete with fossil fuels.
0: You know, I do agree with that because chemically speaking, you're absolutely right. I think the question there isn't necessarily about efficiency. It's about public panic, you know, like, like how do we, how do we mitigate that at that point? So where do you think the solution is then economically in terms of this? Do we, do we pour money into more R and D stuff on, on solar panels or do we start investing with what we have?
1: you know it's funny because there isn't really a consensus on this basically everyone's arguing in their own little camp scientists want obviously more funding um the people that are in industry right now tend to say that they need looser regulations and they need kind of tax incentives they need Mm. they need market solutions to kind of grow their business and be able to compete i really think that this is an issue that requires every single ounce of manpower slash policy ability that we have we need it's not an either or solution we need to do as much of both as we can we need to see if solar wind all the other clean energy sources can be made more efficient but then we also can't lose time trying to make them more efficient we need right. to be pushing them at the same time and need to be getting them on the market
0: so, so if i yeah. if i understand correctly you're saying like okay work with what we've got right now right but at the same time work on making it better so we can have like sort of like a a dual track approach to this
1: there needs to be both it's not an either or choice Mm -hmm.
0: okay that i think makes a lot a lot of sense because i think a lot of people in their heads have it as like we can do one but not the other but where do you think we should get the money from that from because like from a governmental perspective like We're running the deficit right now on all fronts. So, like, where where do we get the money? Do you do you think we should we should tax the tax the one percent, stick it to Wall Street, or what do you think?
1: People people do not understand the deficit in this country. It's it's just one of gives me a headache every time I think about it because (laughs) people think of the deficit the way they think about like their own personal finances. They're like, okay, like I can't (laughs) I can't go bankrupt. Why can Uncle Sam? Yeah. So very it's a very hard topic to argue i am i'm am opponent of the idea that if we are going to blow a hole in the deficit for a fucking tax cut for the one percent and for two failed wars that making the deficit grow a little bit to mm-hmm. save our planet probably isn't a terrible idea mm-hmm. however there is there's is an art people tend to use a deficit right as like a way to shoot down ideas they don't like like right. like Uh, when it comes to like 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 taxing the rich, right? A big reason why Democrats are opponents of this is because they don't need to they don't want to listen to all of these deficit arguments for solving problems. My my argument to anyone who brings up the deficit is you know what's gonna grow the deficit? Us losing trillion dollars of tax revenue when Florida doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. (laughs) There there is no (laughs) argument for the deficit being an obstacle for solving climate change.
0: Okay. Let's be honest though. I feel like Florida not existing anymore could solve a whole host of other problems though. You
1: do gain some in other areas.
0: (laughs) Okay. But that is a very good point. So do you think like, that's not necessarily the most important conversation right now?
1: We can fix our deficit. There's, there's things that we can do. Mm -hmm. People aren't going to like it. Right, but like there are things that we can do to solve the deficit. Right. However, if climate change is a priority, right, on the same level as social security, on the same level as Medicare, which let's face it, it is. This is a public health
0: crisis. Right. Because what's this the point of having a, what's the point of having a 401k if all the retirement homes are underwater? Right. Like,
1: if you really consider climate change just as part of an issue as those other. Things that we are happily paying money for, and will continue to pay money for, it—it it makes sense to kind of put as much resources as we have in pursuit of the problem.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm glad that I'm glad that we can sort of like have like that productive conversation about that, though, because I think that's one thing that's lacking is that a lot of people are sort of caught in this in this sort of dichotomy. And for them, they—I think people tend to overcomplicate it. What do you think?
1: yeah i mean it's it's a tricky spot because people have funded so many studies on either side that you can't really use numbers anymore Mm
0: -hmm.
1: we need to craft as scientists as scientifically minded people as people who are involved in politics we need to craft a better story than the other guys and the reason our story is going to be better is because it's true right the reason that our story is gonna work is because we're gonna create a future that includes everybody. Our story needs to be the antithesis of what our story around climate change has been for the last 20, 30 years. Al Gore picked this up after he lost the 2000 elections. And yes, he did a lot of work in making it a major issue, but he also made it partisan. He also made it toxic. Mm -hmm. The story that we need to tell is this, look, to all the coal miners in West Virginia, to all the factory workers in Detroit, your grandfathers and your fathers oftentimes died trying to unionize so that you guys could have collective bargaining rights so that your companies would not pollute your waters and spread lead inside your children's Mm -hmm. work, inside your children's schools and cause pollution on a massive scale. We fought that battle throughout the 1800s. We won that battle. It was hard. We lost a lot of lives trying to get that pass.
0: And some Um, of these battles were recent, right? Like Claire Patterson was fighting to get lead out of gasoline in the fifties. Like he fought the industry for 20 years. This was the guy who proved how old the earth was, right? He was one of the greatest scientists of that generation. And he had to fight the United States Senate on and off for 20 years to get them to force the gasoline companies to get lead out of our gasoline. And we don't have 20 years anymore. We thought we we did. We don't.
1: We need to tell them that they can participate in that great tradition, in the tradition that their fathers and forefathers did of preventing pollution from destroying their children's lives. That's what climate change is all about. Mm -hmm. And- we also need to tell them that we're not cutting you out of the narrative so for so long there's been this trend in the american political mindset that like entitled liberals are telling you know the the real america that they're bad for working in coal they're bad for working in oil right like not just what they're doing is causing long-term consequences that hurt people mm-hmm. they're bad because If you are a coal miner and that's all you've done your entire life you identify with that completely that is who you are that is who you are for the entirety of your life so we need to construct a narrative where we provide an honor like an honor and a dignity to these people and respecting the sacrifices they've made to create these industries while at the same time teaching them that there needs to be an end to what this
0: is right because at the end of the day like we, we change as a country and that change is natural, but we need to steer that in a direction that benefits everyone. And I, I really like the phrase you use, sort of like not cut them out of that story, right? Because this is, some, this is bigger than all of us. This is bigger than the coal miner that you know, has spent his whole life doing that, that identifies with that as his job. It's bigger than Mitch McConnell. It's bigger than AOC. It's bigger than all of us, right? Because uh, at the end of the day, people don't understand. It's like climate change will not end the world. It will end humanity though is the thing. And I think people need to realize that, you know, Republicans and Democrats sort of to me are like a weird Batman versus Superman situation, right? These are like the giants of our political world, right? And they, we view them as sort of the lords of our existence. They're the big tough guys. But eventually, I know some people are going to hate me for this, but we need our why did you say that name moment you know we need our who is martha moment (laughs) to sort of get this get over this because it's not going to be it's not going to be necessarily republicans or democrats that get us through this it's going to be our human it's going to be human beings and i think that that's what we need to realize it's it's more important than political party so
1: do you think that there will be a point just out of curiosity where republicans will be against climate change, I really, I don't know if I see that at going to happen.
0: I, I don't know. I don't know if we'll see that soon enough, let me put it that way. Because you can get conservative ideologies, right? Because like, conservatism is not a new human concept, right? Conservatism has existed for always, right? And you know, this goes back to the whole like, okay, who were who the bad guys from the Civil War, right? Um, you know, you can't even get Republicans to admit it was about slavery. Right, oh, they're still trying to not look like the, the bad war guys.
1: Of Northern Alex. Never forget. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, or I still like, get your shit
1: together.
0: When Miss Murphy told us that in a history class, I was shook. I was like, "That's what they thought it was about." <laughs> like, but I think conservatism as liberals, right? Like we grew up in a liberal education system that has always painted conservatism as as the bad ideology. It's like, it's the one that impedes progress. I think there's necessarily a place for it in certain instances, but I think in this sense, it's going to cause us to do too little too late. You know what I mean? So I think that, and one thing I'm glad about personally, right, is that our generation tends to be a bit more open to education. We tend to be a bit more open to looking at these in an enlightened and a scientific way right we tend to prioritize our minds a lot and what that can do for us so i think that as bad as it is our trend towards liberalism in this one specific sector because people who know me know i'm not a complete liberal i disagree a lot with a lot of current liberal talking points like obviously like you know i'm pro-black lives matter pro-climate change obviously right like pro- well not pro-climate change you know you know what i mean but like the if
1: you accept the scientific
0: fact of climate change right exactly let's put it's it that way to,
1: be, to, to support climate climate change or like to support climate change legislation is a passive sense right. we're not fighting against reality, accepting it for what it is yeah like there is no there's a real partisan sense
0: yeah like i am i identify as a person with an iq above that of a toaster let's put it that way (laughs) that's my political party (laughs) i mean like that's that's what it is like i can't deny deny any of these things if i can't deny it that's what i believe you know what i mean that's that politically i can't deny climate change exists i can't deny that black lives matter right so that's that's what it is um when it comes to that type of thing but I think, yeah, I just don't see a place for conservatism when it comes to this because it's a question of our lives.
1: It's interesting because there was a study that the CIA released another day, the other day where they said that climate change was the biggest national security threat that we face. There is a alternate reality where conservatives kind of rallied around the flag for climate change as a national security issue, as a foreign policy issue, as an issue of patriotism, right. you know, like there have been times in our history where we've mobilized against this like massive enemy collectively and it's made us stronger. Right. World War One, World War Two. The problem is our enemy is intangible now. It's right. a lot harder to do that, even if the effects in terms of lives lost are arguably comparable to right. what we face in the twentieth century.
0: Right. That's a really good point, especially because conservatives often will battle these ideas, right, saying, oh, we're going to spend too much. We're going to spend too much. We're going to have big government. But they've never been opposed to big government when it came to those issues. They've never been opposed to big government when it was a war. You know what I mean? America first. Right. It's like, okay, let's spend what we need to keep our citizens safe. Conservatives have never opposed that during wartime. You'd be hard-pressed to fight. Conservatives were often for increasing the military budget during times of war. They still are, right? No conservative, because they perceive that as a national security risk, right? This is it. This is the battle, not just for our country, but for humanity. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is bigger than uh, It's it's the the fight. So what'd you say? This is the end game. We're all in the end game now. Right, like this is our Doctor Strange moment. I don't understand what they don't get. This is our—you either got a Captain Steve Rogers this, or you're gonna you're gonna sit this one out. And it's not. Sorry, I think something, I think somebody just dropped a piano or something upstairs. Um, but you know what I mean. We can't, we can't afford to sit this one out.
1: It's it's a real, it's a real rally the flag moment except we can't rally the flag because we don't have a country left it's again we need to solve our politics we need to fix america before we fix the world Mm -hmm. there needs to be kind of a hierarchical pyramid style approach to this and this like this does create an argument for doing a lot of these things that like i what what is your stance on like abolishing the filibuster and backing the court do you do you feel like in the face of all of this it might be necessary to do those things
0: it could be, man. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, first of all, in the nicest way possible, I wish Mitch McConnell would just retire or like just, I want to say it, but I'm not going to, you know what I mean? But like, mm. I feel like he's the only one threatening to filibuster right now. If the Senate, if the Senate, like if, if it flips, right? Like he did this back in the day with a stimulus, right? When Obama took when Obama took office, Ms. McConnell was the one threatening the filibuster. And that's why they couldn't do things with like green energy in schools, right? Or make green education in schools, right? That's why they couldn't pass that. Uh, that's why they had to take off that little earmark that they wanted to stuff in there with the stimulus, right? Because this laid the foundation for a lot of Green New Deal stuff back in twenty and in 2009, right? But when Obama was facing that sort of that sort of issue. But I think abolishing it now, especially since if Democrats win the Senate, right, it's going to be narrow, right? It's if, even if they get a majority, it's going to be a narrow majority, right? And you know, we haven't seen a proper filibuster, like a dude gets up. For those of you who don't know what a filibuster is, it's basically when senators who are in the minority party in the Senate just get up and won't stop talking. You, you just do not stop talking for hours. And I mean, hours, like they have gone in history for like 36 hours at a time they just did not stop talking you can't eat you can't take anything to drink you can't sit down but as long as you are talking you can delay a vote and if they do that for climate change legislation because if a vote gets delayed the legislation just gets tabled right it has to go all the way back to the beginning of the process all the subcommittees in order to get onto the floor again so i think we might need to abolish the filibuster i don't see any other way of getting some of these important things done um real quick because we're yeah it
1: is a sad moment for democracy that needs this needs to happen we need to press the nuclear option in order to save our our country from
0: climate change it it just might be what it needs to happen so we're almost out of time but real quick last thing that i want to get from you is say joe biden wins this election as I'm guessing a lot of people are now hoping happens for the sake of our country and for humanity, right? What do you want to see from him in his first year in terms of climate action?
1: I think Biden needs to approach this boldly and to make this the number one, to boldly state that this will be the number one priority that he faces, because anything less than that is not solving the problem. Yeah, It's kind of sad that we have to, Pick and choose between different things that we get to fix, right? Whether we can fix healthcare or fix our like fix our climate, but
0: right. or get racial justice or any of these other important issues,
1: America kind of only has four years to fix itself. Yeah, maybe maybe more, but nothing is guaranteed. And so, if we want to tackle the biggest, most existential threat—the threat that hurts all of us the most and I don't want to compare pains here, I don't want to compare sufferings, but just quantifiably hurts the most people, then this is the thing that we need to fight for. We need to make the consensus around climate change that we need big solutions and that we need to act decisively. Once that becomes the predominant narrative, things like the Green New Deal will change from just being delusional and a punchline to something that can be built onto and something that can turn into a real movement that can fix these problems. Because if we don't fix these problems now during Biden's term, there is no going back. We do you want to
0: see? Do you want to see like real dollars be invested like within those first like few months, or do you want to see like a legislation plan?
1: I want to see some of the objectives of the Green New Deal passed. I don't think that's crazy to say. I want good chunks of US budget going towards solving climate change at least the same amount that we spend on wars at least the same amount that we currently spend on the military there are it's it's hard to make this a political reality right but if biden wins in a landslide american politics will fundamentally be realigned a lot of things that we think are impossible now will become very possible it's just a matter of whether or not democrats have the
0: political willpower to push through. Right. All right. Well, Abiram, thank you so much for joining for joining me for this discussion today. For those of you at home, I want to leave you with one thing. Before I do that, I just want to shout out Abiram on Instagram. Uh, do you want to drop your handle if the the lovely people at home want to go give you a follow? Because abiram's doing some pretty great things at Clark, and uh, also he's just a great dude. Uh, so why don't you shout yourself out here for those of our viewers at home?
1: sure um is my instagram handle uh, all right yeah don't don't slide into my dms that's creepy
0: go do it ladies he's single i guarantee like he'll he'll he's, he's real cute <laughs> and if you're watching this on youtube you know that so you know hit him up he's lying he's just a bit shy um uh, but all right thank you so much again for joining us but that being said For those of us, you at home, who are kind of on the fence, because if you're hardcore like climate change isn't real, a lot of you aren't going to listen to anything I have to say about it, right? For those of you who are already super liberal, who probably already agree with us, thank you, right? You're fighting the good fight. Keep doing what you're doing. But for those of you who are on the fence, as I'm sure a lot of you might be, who might think, oh, okay, like climate change is real, but it's not that big of an issue. Let's just put it into perspective, right? This is not something that you're going to see until it's too late. By the time you realize it's a problem, this is like, an, this is like a stroke. By the time you realize you're having one, it's too late. By the, at that point, you're just trying to minimize damage. Because once that last iceberg melts, once we hit that 1.5 degrees Celsius threshold, because you heard about the clock, right, that they have in New York now. But the countdown. Yeah, 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 you heard about the doomsday I mean, clock, right? It's real, right? Time is ticking, right? We are against the clock here, and we are at a disadvantage, right? Only problem is this time, if we run out of time, it's not that it's just we're not going home with no Super Bowl rings. We're we're it. This is it. This is our season finale. This is the end of the human race, and I'm being serious. And we can do everything we can at that point and it won't be good enough because at the end of the day, nature does not care how much you want to change once it's given you its chance. That's just the fact of the matter. And look, we have a chance. It's a long shot at this point. We're playing for the Hail Mary, but we have a chance to make that play right now. And if we don't, if we fumble it right now, God, I'm using too many football metaphors today. But if we drop this, if we screw this up, we won't even get the chance to tell our descendants about this. They won't get the chance to learn from our mistakes because they won't be here. And that's all there is to it. So Abiram, thank you so much for joining us again today. Next week, we're going to be talking a bit more about COVID. We're going to have a few more special guests on and it's going to be a good time. Thank you so much for joining us. I'll see you later. This has been the Aletheia Podcast. Thank you and good night.